Welcome to On the Middle East, our Monitor's weekly podcast on the big developments affecting the region. Much of the world is transfixed by Russia's assault on Ukraine, and there are immediate consequences for the Middle East. We, however, will be discussing an underreported form of violence, that against the gay, lesbian, bisexual and transsexual community in Iraqi Kurdistan. The murder last month of a transsexual makeup artist, Azad Doski, by her brother, was the shocking reminder of the impunity that pervades the region when it comes to the LGBT community. With us here today is Jiar Ali, a leading activist who now lives in the Netherlands for his own safety. So welcome to our show, Ziar. It's great to have you here with us today. Hello. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. Not at all. So we're going to be talking about uh, violence, transgender violence uh, against um, gay people, against women in Iraqi Kurdistan. And we just had this really awful murder, uh, well, recently of a woman who was burned to death by her husband. Uh, and then before that, of a, a transgender makeup artist in uh, the city of the Hook who was killed by her brother who traveled from Europe uh, to carry out the murder. And it was described as an honor killing. And these seem to be happening with frightening frequency in Iraqi Kurdistan. We had nine women killed so far this year. And we saw uh, the prime minister, the president condemn the murders of the women, but say nothing about the transgender person who was killed. So can you just tell us a little bit about, first of all, how it is to be gay in Iraqi Kurdistan? Yeah, for sure. Um, it is very frightening and unfortunate, the latest incidences. And we have been very concerned with the rising violence against um, LGBT people and even women generally. Um, we saw that um, the, the um, government responded to uh, some of the deaths, which is a good thing, but uh, it's not good at all that they um, ignored um, one of the one of the first, uh, which was a transgender woman. And the, the reason behind this is because LGBT identities are still deeply stigmatized in uh, Iraqi Kurdistan, and um, the the transgender women are even considered to be women. We have been um, that we've seen the Kurdish media report about these incidences and still refusing to use um, um, female pronouns or still referring to uh, Doski Azad as, as a man or publishing pictures before her transition and a lot of other disrespectful things. And this, is, can, this can all be traced back to the lack of um, public knowledge on uh, gender and sexuality and the LGBT identities and individuals. So um, moving on to, to um, how life is as, as a gay person in Iraq, it's um, completely difficult. It's very terrible in the Kurdistan region. There are no laws um, to protect LGBT people, especially uh, gay people. 
there are no anti-discriminatory laws. There are no um, labor laws to protect um, uh, LGBT people. So oftentimes they can be denied from jobs, even if they're qualified just because of their sexual orientation. Um, and even the police and ASAI, which is the security agency in the Kurdistan region, they commit um, violence against the LGBT people. Uh, and it's even worse in the rest of Iraq with militias often um, killing LGBT people and with um, with murderers getting away, as we saw with Doski Azad's murderer. Um, it's been almost a month and he has not been found. And the same as well last year, another transgender woman was murdered and her murderer was never um, found or never punished, or at least we don't have any information about what happened to her case because the government really lets these cases just um, um, be closed silently. They sweep everything under the rug uh, and act like nothing has happened. So have, have you faced any discrimination yourself? What, what's been your personal experience? Because I read in an article, I think it was the Voice of America, uh, uh, about you saying how scared you were sometimes that you feared for your life. Yes, this is true. Um, this is something that I've told a lot, but I did really accept that I could be killed at any moment because of my work and because of my identity. And it's sad that with many other people who wanted to advocate, um, we discussed this, that we step out of our homes knowing that it could be the last day we leave. And that's exactly what I said and did. And that's how I really felt. I was, I was targeted, I was harassed, I was beaten, um, I was threatened, intimidated. Um, there, are, there are so many death threats uh, in comment sections that are public, you know, it's not something like you can go check it, for example, in the comment sections under my interviews, how people react. And it really shows the level of, uh, sadly, the ignorance of the public when it comes to um, gender and sexuality um, and how it's considered a, a, a taboo and a subject that nobody should dare touching or talking about. Um, so it, I can say that it was very difficult. I was denied housing. Um, and uh, of course, finding jobs is extremely difficult unless you have very, very, very good skills that they they are willing to overlook, um, you know, your, your sexuality or if you don't fit into a binary system, you know, that's going to be an issue. So um, my personal experience, unfortunately, in Iraq was not pleasant, was not good. And um, I think I share this experience with most of the LGBT community in the region. And so... You, you've moved out of Iraq now, right? You, you used to live in Suleimania, which is sort of supposed to be the, a cultural hub, somewhere where minds are more open, uh, and yet you were unable to, to, to stay on. Is that correct? This is uh, true. And that is the sad part about all of this, um, is the Suleimani region is known as a city that's supposed to be the most tolerant. But we saw um, the Assange operation um, on um, April 1st last year, where they uh, detained a number of gay people. And um, the, the Assange spokesperson was 
saying that um, you know this is an operation that will be um, extended to arrest uh, quote unquote homosexual uh, people, and um, that was a, a really scary time for all of us because we are seeing the rising influence of um, conservative parties um, and how they are contributing to the worsening situation of human rights in the region, unfortunately. And um, I think a lot of other people felt out of control and um, felt endangered in that um, kind of situation and were not able to go on, including journalists, actually. A lot of journalists who have moved out in the Kurdistan region. And this is why um, we have a problem when it comes to progressing as a nation is that um, we tend to pressure the, the um activists, the intellectuals, the journalists, you know, every change maker, that they crack under the pressure and that they have to get out. They have to, you know, be able to live without that kind of um, public backlash against them every day. Um, so unfortunately, I was one of those people that I could not um, continue living there because I, I genuinely feared for my own safety. Um, and yeah, and now I live in the Netherlands. So are there any um, NGOs or uh, sort of groups inside Iraqi Kurdistan who advocate on the behalf of the LGBTQ community? So uh, there used to be an organization that was uh, registered uh, in Iraq, but it was registered as a women's rights organization. And uh, it was called Rasan. Um, I worked for Rasan from um, the end of 2019 to the beginning of 2021. And uh, we were officially and publicly advocating for LGBT rights in the region. And um, unfortunately, um, there had been a backlash against, uh, against the organization and again, influenced by um, conservative um, individuals and parties that um, the Directorate of Non-Governmental Organizations froze all of Rassan's work. And um, there has been a lawsuit filed against 11 activists who worked for the organization, as well as the executive director of the organization. And they are charged um, with an article in the Iraqi Penal Code that relates to publishing audiovisual material that are against the um, quote-unquote public morale um, or against the public interest. And um, so we, it's, it's safe to say that I think at this point they stopped working or do not have um, as much impact as before. There's another organization publicly advocating. They are based in Sweden. They're called Iraqweer. Um, they publish in Arabic, Kurdish, and English. And they've been advocating for quite a few years for LGBT rights. Uh, ourselves, we also have an, um, we founded Yaksani Media Network. It's um, basically, yeah, it's a media network that's uh, with the main mission of countering media bias and to advocate for the community by um, raising awareness and also giving visibility to community members. And we have been very outspoken about um, Doski's case. Actually, we were one of the most outspoken organizations about the case, and we still try to um, um, get government attention and get a res official response on that case. Well, um, 
we also know that these uh, popular mobilization units have also been targeting uh, women, men they concern, uh, they consider to be of loose morals. Is that another problem that you face? These sort of um, groups that take justice upon themselves on top of, you know, individuals, family members who feel that they have to cleanse the family honor. So um, I think that the subject is very, um, it's very complex uh, because the Kurdish um, officials want to really appear as this kind of um, democratic, um, you know, justice upholding kind of government, but they're not really, um, they're very authoritarian and um, they have, it's a kleptocracy basically um and generally the, the human rights situation there is um very terrible so um we did a survey actually within the the security agency and um the survey is about um how they perceive lgbt there's um uh, almost 24 sets of questions in the survey and their responses were um very alarming and um we are planning to publish those um results and the data that we have soon on our website um, for the public knowledge. Um, so it, it, it's that um, they don't view, um, most of them don't view LGBT people as, um, as people who deserve to have equal rights or as people who deserve to have rights at all, I would say. So you're talking um, now about the security services like the uh, internal police, the Asayish. Um, so not not uh, did you also talk to these popular mobilization units at all or um well we are dealing uh with everything on a local level so we are operating in the kurdistan region and the people that are uh, responding to these cases are mostly the police and the asaish and uh we do know that um, if you are um if someone tells on you for example because they think that you are having a homosexual relationship or if you're a woman who's um, doing something that is considered by them immoral or unacceptable, then you could be um, imprisoned for that. Uh, so at first they take you to a station and they make you fill out a form promising that you'll never do what they think is immoral to them. It's quite and ironic then, though, isn't it? Because you know when you go to some of the <laughs> hotels in Erbil, you see women openly soliciting and there doesn't, they don't seem to face much of a problem. I think um, it's only, they only do um, that when it's an inconvenience for them. We know about um, LGBT people, the police and the Asaish have used um, LGBT people to target um, politicians, for example, to create sex scandals. Um, and a lot of other weird things that they're doing. Meanwhile, they don't recognize um, that, that, that community as a, as a whole, and they're not um, giving them the rights to freely express their, um, their lifestyle. And their so it's only, you know, they only take action when it's inconvenient for them or when they want to, and not because, you know, there's a set of specific laws that they follow or there's rules that they follow. Well, we saw that um, there was quite a strong reaction though, wasn't there? Um, 
uh, when uh, Dosky was murdered uh, from the uh, European consulates and the US consulate, does that have any kind of impact or is it just, you know, not taken seriously? Uh, you know, um, the backlash um, that the Kurdistan region is receiving um, for these kind of murders is in the uh, in the first place the works of activists and CSOs or civil society. You know, it's not that um, they are the government is doing something about it or that there are other actors who are working on it. We actually worked very hard to to make this an international case to reach international media and to to reach the consulates and embassies to um, so they would release a statement about the subject. But it's obviously not enough. We don't want to start a campaign after someone dies. We don't want to, to publish a statement after someone dies. We want to prevent the death in the first place. And that's what we're advocating for. So um, we have had meetings with consulates and we have told them directly. And um, I'm gonna say it again here that you know we don't need their tokenistic efforts. We don't need a statement. We need real action. We need real action with the government. They have to um, understand that LGBT people are there and they will be there and they have to be respected. And there has, there has to be laws that will protect these individuals from harm. And whenever someone dies, it's just, it's unacceptable. Yeah, somebody just comes back to the Kurdistan region, commits a murder and then leaves. How is this, how is this acceptable? How is a government so weak that even after a month and two intelligence agencies operating on a local level, they're not able to found one murderer when they see when they say they're cooperating with Interpol also. So what's the um, investigation leading to? What what has happened so far? Why are they not transparent? You know, I think these are all things. If if the consulates are genuine in in their efforts trying to help us, then they should follow up with the government on these things, and they should release whatever information they have to the public. It's just not enough that they have a meeting and then they tell us, oh, there's other things going on behind the scenes that you're not aware of. Well, we don't want that. We want to be aware of whatever is happening. Well, they're very fortunate, your community, to have someone as articulate and passionate as you. Um, one final question. How, how do families react? I mean, obviously, in the case of Doski Azad, the family reacted terribly and the brother came and uh, shot her dead. But are there instances where families embrace um, their child? Uh, what was your personal experience with your own family? Um, there are very few families who actually accept their LGBT children, unfortunately, because um, what's very important to understand is that we have this kind of collective um, lifestyle in the Kurdistan and um, Iraq regions. And um, this has made it impossible for a person to practice an individualistic kind of lifestyle. So you have to always um, worry about what you do, how you dress, how you act, what you say, everything. Um, because you have to be, um, you know, be careful about what kind of message you get across to other people. Because other people don't look at you as individuals, they look at you as a family, as a, as a group of people related, as a tribe. 
And, you know, these are tribal values that we still hold on to in the 21st century. And this has made life very difficult. For me, it was no different than any other LGBT kid out there. It's um, obviously it was very tough, um, very unaccepting. Um, I faced a lot of violence, um, just like I have faced outside also in my house. So um, I think it's not strange for for LGBT children to be harmed by their families in this way. It has been happening for decades, but it's only been highlighted because now we are daring to speak up about it. Well, keep up the great work and I hope you can return to Kurdistan, a more open Kurdistan sometime soon. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today and uh, hope to keep in touch, Jiar. Thank you. Thank you, Ambering. It was really lovely to talk to you. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. Elizabeth Hagedorn, and I'm the State Department correspondent at El Monitor. And I'm Joe Snell. I'm El Monitor's video editor. Let's admit it, this past year has been difficult to stay on top of the news and sift through what's accurate and what's misleading. Let El Monitor help you. If you care about the Middle East and North Africa, you should consider listening to El Monitor's audio series on the Middle East with Andrew Parasoliti and Amber and Zaman, and on Israel with Ben Caspi. You can now watch our newest video podcast, Reading the Middle East with Gilles Capel. You can subscribe to these series on your favorite podcast platforms. And through a host of free daily and weekly newsletters, we offer a range of perspectives with the highest journalistic standards. You can subscribe to these newsletters at almonitor.com. As an award-winning media service headquartered in Washington, D.C., Almonitor has a network of over 160 contributors around the world. So if you haven't done so already, be sure to visit almonitor.com, where you can find all of these newsletters and podcasts, along with first-class reporting and analysis. And this brings us to the end of this week's show. I hope you learned as much as I did about the terrible plight of the LGBT community in Iraqi Kurdistan. Catch up with us next week with another absorbing episode of On the Middle East.